0: welcome to episode 68 of monday state of mind my name is michael Mosel and i'm the director of alumni and recovery support services for the harmony foundation we are in the middle of august We are right in the middle of this amazing topic of getting comfortable with sobriety, having amazing guests on. You guys have already heard from Shira. And today you're going to hear from an amazing man. And I'm telling you, like this guy that's going to be speaking today, I just knew when he was talking when we were um, in group a couple weeks ago, I knew that this guy had a gift to share with everybody. So can't wait for you guys to hear from him. but. Before we dive into this episode, I want to let all of you guys know if this is your first time tuning into Monday State of Mind, after you listen to this amazing episode, head back to episode one and take those five minutes that that episode consists of to get to know me, yours truly, Michael, a little bit better, and the why behind Monday State of Mind. All right? Okay? Ah, So wherever you are. Just get settled with me. If you're walking the pups, you're driving the car, you know the deal. It's time to get present and really tune in to what this amazing human has to say. And I told this guy, I was like, listen, you're going to change some lives today on this episode. So like you guys know, I don't introduce my guests. They introduce themselves. Tell the world, who do I have the pleasure of having on Monday State of Mind with me today?
1: Well, thank you, Michael. My name is Brad. Um, In my AA world, I go by Brad T, but I'm comfortable with my recovery and sobriety. So my name's Brad Tennant, calling in from Denver. I spent some time last year up at Harmony, and that's how I met Michael. But yeah, I'm uh, just over 10 months sober after close to 20 years of trying. I've been this far before, but it's different this time, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we go through. But um, I'll explain how it's different to me and how I'm planning on making it stick, so
0: Ah, oh, okay. Brad, I Mummy, mean, man, when I reached out to you and was like, Hey, like, will you come on Monday state of mind? And when you talk about getting comfortable with sobriety and what it looks like, because so many of us feel that we're not deserving of this life because we were such not great humans, I'll say, in our past. And so when I asked you to come on and talk about this, what were some of your immediate thoughts around being comfortable in sobriety, allowing yourself to be grateful and deserving of this life?
1: Well, it's an interesting question because it seems foreign to me that anyone wants to hear what I have to say. Normally when I share Um, And I try and share often and early in meetings. I like to share early because I like to listen to people rather than sit there and and try and fine tune what I'm going to say. And I miss a lot of things in a meeting. And for me, it's really about listening to other people, hearing stories. But I'm still in a very high energy recovery. I'm still doing two meetings a day, sometimes more. Um, And I used to fight meetings. So there's a little bit of difference in my program now just from that piece of it the wanting and and getting to get to a meeting rather than having to do a meeting. So I've had a kind of a psychic change in there, but I finally started to feel that some of the things that I've realized in my recovery could help someone else who may be struggling with some of the same things. So um, I'm excited to, to kind of talk about the comfort piece of, of my recovery because it really took me a long time to get here. I'm a very much a kicking and screaming person Even when I went up to Harmony for rehab last year, I didn't want to be there. Boy, I sure never want to go to rehab was my always my thinking, I can do this myself. And I finally had to get to the point, I had to reach that, my bottom, where it became not only the only option, but by far my best option. And it still took me a long time to figure that piece out, even when I was in the middle of it. So I don't know. For me, I've been married 27 years. And my drinking has been an issue on and off since day one. Um, got in trouble on my honeymoon for getting <laughs> overdrunk. I thought that's what honeymoons were for. <laughs> just, and we were down in Mexico and <clears throat> three days in, I was so hammered at, at dinner that night that I got in trouble and we had a fight on our honeymoon. And I just wrote it off to being, well, you should be doing the same thing I'm doing. You know, we're on our honeymoon. That was, that was as far as I took it. I wasn't realizing the impact I was having on other people. It took me a long time to finally get to the point where the wreckage that I've caused is real. The damage that I've done to my two sons who are now 20 and 24. My kids were around for 15 years of this where they could recognize when I was drunk or not drunk, whether I was present or not, whether I was mad or not, and realize the anger that I had. My anger was because someone was getting in the way of my drinking. And it might've been my wife, it might've been my situation, or it might've been my kids. But I was so focused on when I could get my next drink, what it would take to get there. And it was even harder for me because this whole time I was supposed to be moderating or not drinking. So everything was dishonest. Everything was on the sly, but it was always that I deserved it. And, you know, who are you to tell me what to do or what not to do? And that's been something that really hurt me over I guess all of my attempts at sobriety and I'm in my 13th year since my first step through an AA door and I didn't want to go I was told to go and I went and then I went the next day and the next day and the next day if you ask my wife that's the story actually I went one time and didn't go back for four years and just lied about going to meetings and instead of going to meetings I drank and I lied about it and it's so nice now to be able to be honest I know that I'm being honest. I still don't get that pass at my house. There's still a lot of, I guess, just distrust. I learn not to say anything, not to apologize. I'm very much in a phase where I, I have to show, I have to do rather than talk. So, I'm in a better place as far as where I'm coming from, and I can ride out a lot of mistrust or lack of trust because I'm just putting days together, one day at a time. It's the only way I can function. Um, I can't worry about even Sunday if it's Friday because I I really need to focus on what I do today. And for me, I've been able to one day at a time put together a a short string of days in the the world of sobriety. Seems like years and years to me, but it's not even one year. But the basis for the change for me was, um, and I'll just tell you right now, I have now have five driving under the influence convictions in my life. And in Colorado, where I live, if you get four, you're in felony territory. So I am in the midst of going through all of the stuff that I've caused. I just had to take a felony. I have to go into a work release program at the county jail where I'm in for 120 nights. But I do get out during the day. Could have been much worse. Could have caused an accident. Very much a drinker and driver because I was always hiding my drinking. And the only place for me to drink was in my car during the day. So all these things that would go through my head about leave me alone don't tell me what to do or not to do i've got this and in the meantime my alcoholism progressed and progressed to the point where i couldn't function in the morning without drinking and i can tell you all five liquor stores within 20 minutes of my house that open at 8 and if they opened at 802 i was honking my horn out front so funny to look back on for me now but that was just my life and every time i relapsed and i'm a big relapser Every time I relapsed, it was just like they say, faster and deeper than it had been the time before. So I'm not surprised that I got another DUI. I'm not surprised that I got to Harmony for rehab. I'm not surprised that I was thrown out of the house, but it still made me mad at the time. I was I was away from my home and my family for five months with very little contact. The boys didn't want me around. My wife didn't want me here. I, I physically was not allowed to be at the house without my wife here as a, as a supervisor. And as a 58-year-old man who's always felt like I could stand on my own two feet, I felt like I was pushed back to being just one of the kids, even and the youngest kid who needed the most guidance. It was a really hard place for me. So the fact that I finally was able to accept what my disease is, what my place is, what I've caused, and if that relates into surrender, that's fine. But I had to get to that point. I had to reach the bottom that I reached to get where I am now. And Michael, you had brought up something. Your past is perfect. And I didn't know what you meant at the time. And this was during rehab at Harmony. So I really started to dig into what does that mean? And I I think I finally have a pretty good grasp of my past being perfect. I could not be where I am today without my past having been what it is. I won't say I don't regret my past. I do regret certain portions of it. I also have a, a really fun, glorious history of drinking and partying over a long, long time, 40 plus years and i wouldn't i wouldn't trade that for anything it's really made me a lot of who i am i have a lot of relationships that were based on coming out of just the party atmosphere on high school or college or the corporate world where i was finally you know we had happy hours and all these things that was wonderful that's what i had i'd finally reached that pinnacle of adulthood where no one could tell me whether i was allowed to drink At lunch, or have beer in the refrigerator, or drink on the weekends, or whatever it was, and I I would grab onto anything that gave me some sense of adulthood, I guess. And it's funny to say that, being as old as I am, to think that if you read through what they say in sobriety, I'm basically a 14 year old because that's when I had my first drink. I don't necessarily buy that, but I understand the concept. But back to the my past being perfect, I embrace my past and. I'm happy to tell other people my story and how I got there because I really like to hear other people's stories about where they are and how they got there. If I were to divide up my past and say good parts to bad parts, my good parts would still be 90%, but it's the bad parts that I'm here talking about now, the what got me to here. And I learned that my drinking and my alcoholism, my addiction really was hurting other people. And I refused to believe that until a year ago, year and a half ago, just wasn't happening. I don't, I don't care what other people say. I'm not doing that to other people. I'm not hurting you just, you know, leave me alone. And if I want to exist in the world that I've tried so hard to create, which is my wife of, you know, almost three decades, my, my two fine young sons, if I want to be part of their life, I actually have to accept what I've done, I have to accept the pain that I've caused, and I have to go through and make amends for that. Um, not only to myself to say that it's okay because I'm finally able to realize that and I'm not doing it anymore, but I have to acknowledge it with the other people that that I've hurt. And it's really those three my my immediate family, but it's also other people my my four brothers and sisters that had to over my life deal with my alcoholism. And I'm only I'm the middle child out of five. I'm the only one who struggles with addiction. And I've struggled mightily, but I didn't realize I was struggling until, you know, it finally got to a certain point. So again, the, my past is what's going to keep me strong, not because I dwell on it, but because I can pull from my past, good and bad, to want to build a new future that's the same or better than the best parts. And that's really where I am now. In recovery, counting my days, it's hard. You've heard me say before, Michael, recovery is hard. Drinking's easy. Drinking's really easy. I've proven it over and over and over. Give me just the, the slightest crack in that back door that I always kept open. I'm at the liquor store. Blinders on, no matter what I stand to lose, the promises I've made, the consequences that might be, I'm going to go drink. And It's only now, after all these years of trying, that I finally understand where I am in the scheme of things, where I fit into my family dynamic, and how I can make that better moving forward. My biggest regret is that I didn't start earlier.
0: I love that you said that because I think there are so many people that needed to hear that. Will you say that regret again?
1: Sure. It, had I been able to stop when I tried to stop, that would be wonderful. But I, I don't. I wouldn't be as solid as I am in my program now if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through. And everybody has a different bottom. And everybody's. I I, I have run into people who have multiple years of sobriety that. Blacked out once. And that was it for them. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I needed five DUIs in jail and work release and being thrown out of the house and losing a job and, you know, all sorts of awful things to happen to me. And it could get worse. People talk about their yets. I had to write a yet list when I was up at Harmony. I'd already checked off most of the boxes. I'd already lost a job. I'd already been to jail. I already had been thrown out of the house. I had, you know, all these different things that would be far beyond what other people had to go through. I've also heard from other people's stories how much worse they were than I was. It's not a game of comparison. When I first went into AA, I was not like anybody in there. I was different. I was smarter. I wasn't as deep into my addiction. And I held on to that. And I had to get to a certain point, you know, my bottom, before I realized that truly I wasn't any different. I was just, I think the, what is it, a page 21 drunk? I am just, I'm just as much an alcoholic or an addict than anybody else out there. I'm, I'm rarely slightly drunk. I'm almost always shit-faced, hammered, or if I'm not, I'm looking for more alcohol. Luckily for me, alcohol is the only thing that hooked me. I could be so cross addicted, so into all the other things I've tried. Thank goodness, cocaine and other things I've tried did not latch on to me like alcohol did. You know, I listen to people who raise their hand as alcoholic or addict or both. And I love the NA meetings because it's a different perspective. I still understand the, the thinking behind it. But for me to, I guess, to realize the, the depth of how far down that I was and the damage that I caused was such a, an eye-opening point, but I still didn't know how to get out of it. And the only thing that got me back to where I needed to be or got me to where I am today is a focus on 24 hours and one day at a time. And that's what's made it seem, even though I'm just over 10 months sober, it feels like 10 years as far as the work that I've had to put in. I am such a student of recovery. I'll take any tool I can. I go to multiple meetings if I can make them. If I miss a meeting, I'll go to three the next day. I'm a firm believer in Zoom because the state took my license away from me. Thank goodness Zoom popped up at the same time because I would not have been able to Get to all the recovery meetings that I need to make.
0: And first of all, I love your backstory. Thank you for sharing your backstory, even with detail. For some of you that are seasoned listeners of Monday State of Mind, we don't really get many guests that are going to talk about the past. And thank you, Brad, for talking about it. And so I just want to ask, like now that you are completely immersed in your recovery, a student to the rooms, student to pick up tools, what was that moment for you that you were able to be grateful? I, and I say grateful a lot, but really like to be grateful for your recovery and to feel deserving of your sobriety.
1: Very interesting question, because I, first of all, I was never going to go to rehab. I was not going to be part of my story, not part of my anything. And I was not suicidal, but certainly ready to go live in a cave. I was so far down. and. My family jumped in and helped me find a rehab facility that Harmony, which also had a medical background to it. So I got that piece of the puzzle. And the, one of the best things that happened to me at, at Harmony was understanding the science behind addiction, because I don't believe that AA does a very good job of talking about that. Under the Influence was a life-changing book for me. It gave me some background onto why I was doing what I was doing. But I was there 28 days. I came home completely fixed, and 10 days later drank again, and nine days after that was back at Harmony for another two-week stint. That was the turning point for me, was that when I got back up to Harmony and I was baffled. There's a part in the AA book that, that talks about alcohol being cunning, baffling, and powerful. One of those things in AA that I'd always rolled my eyes about, and here I was, baffled, powerless because of the cunning nature of alcohol and my addiction, and I didn't know what to do. And before that, I always knew I was in trouble. I knew how I got there. I still had one foot on the platform, one foot on the train. Someday I'll be able to. And I wasn't in acceptance of the fact that, no, you can't drink anymore. You know that, That's it for you. Unless you choose to go live in that cave again, you can throw away everything you've worked for and be right back there and have at it. Live in your car. Drink all the alcohol you want. But that's not what I wanted. And it was going to be a long fight and I knew it, but that was the turning point for me was when I went back up there in a very much a different mindset. Now I was asking the same question of myself that my wife had asked of me, how in the face of everything you've promised and everything to lose, could you do this again? And my answer was, I don't know. And it truly was, I don't know. I don't know how I would do that. I, I can't understand. I can't explain to you how with everything to lose, I would still find a way to make alcohol the right thing to do. And I would sneak and lie and jump every time the phone rang. But that was OK as long as I got my drinks. I was either drinking or looking for my next one. I think I even heard you say, Michael, that if they tested you for years, you would have been sitting at that somewhat drunk level. I think I remember you saying that in, in one of the meetings. And I, I know I existed with a VAC probably beyond um, state level for driving for years. Now, truly, my last four months were the worst. It was during COVID. I'd had a really bad year, blah, 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 just excuses. I, it was just one more phase of my alcoholism that got me to where I am. And COVID helped with my progression. But you know all the consequences I, I faced this time, I'd already faced before. I'd already lost my license. I'd already been thrown out and had to live at my sister's house. Thank goodness she took me in. But I, for whatever reason... I finally got that I couldn't control what I was doing. And I understood that I had to ask for help. And that's what not my first time at Harmony, even though I was talking the talk, I wasn't walking the walk. So through all the the tools that that Harmony gave me and the recommitment program that I went back to, the two-week program where you really focus on relapsing and what is it going to make it different this time, that was the turning point for me. As odd as it seems, that 24-hour mantra that I say now, one of the counselors up at Harmony put it in a way that finally made sense to me that yesterday's failure didn't guarantee today's failure and yesterday's win certainly didn't guarantee today's win. And so I had to focus on the time I got up till the time I went to bed. And that's how I got to count a day. And I could do that. I could focus on today, tonight, but I couldn't focus on, geez, that's great. I didn't drink today, but Friday we're doing that, whatever it is. And I I hope I can make it through that day. I don't go there anymore, but I am very much a student of, of recovery. In fact, I've been warned numerous times that I'm overdoing it, that they've seen people crash and burn doing what I'm doing. So good for me to hear that. And I didn't crash and burn, but I was doing three meetings a day, living in sober living, going to IOP, you know, all these different things, didn't have a car, trying to fight to get to work. And it was really hard, but I knew then that it was worth it if I wanted what I wanted. And what I wanted was my family, and the ability to make new memories. And it almost brings me to tears to think about all the time that I wasted between now at 59 years old and let's say 39 years old. I know I couldn't have done this at 39 years old. I wish I could say that I, that I could, and that I would have been fine, but that's not the case. I know from looking at my past that I had to go through certain things. I sure, sure hope this was my bottom. I'm going to make it be my bottom. I've also been through this enough times to never say never. So I go one day at a time and I talk to people. I meet with my sponsor. I'm on step nine in the, the AA steps. I'm, I'm doing amends. I haven't done any yet, but I'm prepared. In fact, I have to do my, my wife and two sons here in the next couple of weeks before my one son goes back east to work at Cornell. So I've, now I have a time frame. but what I also have done is built the expectation they know where I am in the steps. Now I have to do these, this piece. This is going to be a huge, huge piece of my recovery because now I get to move past step nine and go to 10, 11, 12, and then I get to sponsor people. So I would never have said that a year ago, get to sponsor people. That sounded like a sentence to me. I was a back corner, back row AA attendee for years and years. Now, as I mentioned before, I share early and often because I want to hear what people say. I've been to enough meetings and I know enough about it that I am like almost everybody else in the room. I do want to hear what people say. And not everybody's share hits me, but I take away something good from every single meeting, whether it's a, an AA meeting or an interaction with someone who's in recovery, or especially an interaction with someone who knows me that's not in recovery and is not an alcoholic or an addict and still will drink while asking me about my recovery but there's a lot of people out there like that. I can very comfortably talk about my past, talk about where I am. It doesn't bother me anymore. In fact, I wear my program on my sleeve. Anybody wants to talk to me about it, I'll talk to you about it. I do not go out and seek people out at this point, but I will be raising my hand soon to help people and be a sponsor. I just need to get through the steps first. That's the promise I made to my sponsor four and a half years ago when he took me on. (laughs)
0: Brad, Brad Tennant, this episode has been raw and it's been real. And I wish that there, and I hope, I hope it's not a wish. I hope that any of you that are listening to this that are in recovery or that are seeking recovery, that you can get to the place where Brad is to be like, this is what it is. My past is my past. This is where I'm at. And this is what I have to offer. And that's where I think you just speaking about this, about your past for the last 30 minutes, Brad, it's like, yep. That's the comfortability that you have in your sobriety. That's the gratitude that you have to be able to sit here with me and be so open. And it's incredible, Brad. And I just want to say thank you for your openness and for choosing to let people know the realness, because there's a lot of realness that people don't like to share. And I'm like, hot damn, you're sharing it.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for saying that, Michael. I will say one thing in parting, Um, and this is something I think and say all the time, Drinking is easy. Using is easy. Recovery is very hard. I still have, you Now, I, I do believe that some of my choice was stripped away by, by my addiction. But there was still a lot of choice in it. I drove myself to the store. Hell, I walked to the store to get alcohol, rode my bike, whatever it took. Whatever it took, I was going to do it. But I can still choose to go out and, and do that again. So the the choice for me is, do I choose to go after the life that I want, or do I choose the easy way and go back to drinking? I could throw my sobriety away today. I could be at the liquor store in 20 minutes and be right back where I was before and throw away everything I've got. I'm choosing not to do that. I'm choosing to move forward, build new memories, repair the relationships I've had, and try and get back the level of comfort, not looking over my shoulder, not regretting my past, but not reliving it. So for me to be able to do the hard thing, I've heard it said, choose your heart. This is my heart. My heart is, is trying to do everything I can, everything I can to be sober and get one more day. And again, it's a 24 hour program for me. And I have so many different AA chips from all these different years that I, I could probably start my own chip box, but I carry one chip. I carry my 24-hour chip, my desire chip that I got 12 and a half years ago, the first time I walked into an AA meeting. That's the one that I carry. So for me, it's one day at a time. For me, my past keeps me going. I want my future to be blessed and and growing in memories. I'm going to create memories. I'll never erase what I did, but I can sure obscure it with new, better times moving forward. So thanks for the opportunity to to say all that stuff. It's really you, Michael, who gave me that perspective of my past being perfect that put me in this position to not regret my past and be okay to talk about it. So I thank you for that. That's a big chunk of my recovery. So
0: Dude, Brad, I'm like, I love you, man. I love you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm giving you a hug through recording, guys. Brad, thank you. You guys, like, there you have it. This episode is one for the books in the honesty and the vulnerability. This is what we do for our state of minds. We set ourselves free by talking about all the things. And so, Brad, thank you. What an episode! Ah, oh, this is why I love doing this, guys. It's just so fun. I want to go ahead, all of you amazing humans, and end this episode right now by reminding you that if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the Harmony Foundation at 866-686-7867. Recovery is a journey and Harmony gives you the map. We'll see you next week.